You're listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Hello and welcome to Heart of the Ark podcast. My name is Jennifer Benke. I'm the Associate Director for Evangelization here, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Bishop Michael Saparito, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Newark. Bishop Saparito, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you, Jennifer. Thank you for the invitation to join you today. It's my pleasure. So when we had our phone conversation to prepare for this, I mentioned that I really wanted to hear from a bishop, but I wanted to hear from you specifically. Also, I've heard you preach before. You confirmed my kids last October, my twins. So I just, I wanted to hear your your voice and enthusiastic thoughts about the Eucharist and how we think about it in, especially at this time of year. So as we prepare for all sorts of big meals, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That Thanksgiving time is approaching for sure. You know, it's become one of my favorite holidays, Jennifer, I think just because of the simplicity of it in terms of we gather to give thanks and just that thought alone is so really, really important. And I think, you know, so much of life happens at such high speed that sometimes offering and stopping and saying, you know, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for? And of course, the opportunity, I think, to be with whoever is at our table just gives us an opportunity to uh, have a wonderful time of sharing and Thanksgiving. So, uh, But we also know that for us as Catholic Christians, the pinnacle of our Thanksgiving happens really daily yeah. <laughs> at the Hourly Eucharistic table, it, it's, uh, w- w- which is a great gift uh, you know, for us. I think it's celebrated at its highest points at our Sunday celebration, our feast and things like that. But certainly the Eucharist is our, our Thanksgiving that happens 364, I'll say, days of the year. You know, we're leaving out Good Friday, even though we share on the Eucharist <laughs> that day. Uh, there's no Eucharistic celebration, so to speak. But so much a real part of our life as Catholic Christians and and such I think sometimes you know the things that can become routine and ritualistic sometimes become the things that we that we take for granted so often and I know that as a young boy I think Eucharist for me was just simply the thing we did as Catholics, you know, it was the type of, it was the way that we worshipped. You right. know, I, I don't think I looked at it any more than that. You know, okay, this is this is how our faith was expressed, the right that we took part in. I think, you know, as time has gone on, I've really, of course, come to appreciate very, very much. I, I look forward to that. As you know, uh, when I, I think one of the reasons why I like to preach so enthusiastically is because the Eucharistic self excites me. I think that whole thing that we're there to encounter Christ. I think, Jennifer, I could speak for you and myself at least, uh, but I know that I'm sure this is true for many people. You know, we have so many things going on in our lives sometimes. And 
just that call of gathering, you know, together around Christ, just uh, that time to soak in, you know, the Lord's word and to be fed at the sacramental table becomes such a, a rich experience of encountering Christ and, and the people that you gather with you yes. know, sometimes, you know, the people you run into, you right. know, who are just asking how you're doing or how things are going or uh, so many times those uh, conversations at the door uh, of church that sometimes would take place where people would be expressing great joys that were going on in their life or or their greatest of sorrows. But here we are all together. We're all gathered together at that same uh, Eucharistic celebration, trying to find Christ's presence alive in our lives. Amen. I brought a lot of material, as I mentioned, <laughs> because I feel woefully unprepared. I don't know how much reading I could do to be prepared to talk to you. Right. But one of the things that uh, you mentioned was I have this book called Restoring Humanity, Evangelization of the Culture, mm-hmm. and it quotes John Paul II, what he sees that when you recognize that when we're really authentic, when we're authentic to people and we're, as you said, when you're meeting people at a church door and then they're bringing who they are as authentic human beings and they're approaching the same table, whether they're in sorrow or whether they're in joy, and that's so important for us. There's that healthy restlessness of all hearts is kind of what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. St. Augustine talks about as well, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And mm-hmm. and so that meal that brings us all together, but it sustains us all and it feeds us in a way that nothing else in this world can I think that, you know, what's great about that insight, I think, Jennifer, is, first of all, how true it is. I think the challenge always at our Eucharistic celebrations is always do we get ourselves in a place where we are sharing ourselves and receiving, you know, ourselves? Do we get that inner quietness about ourselves, you know, that we're coming? Uh, sometimes we're we're so grateful to get there or we've rushed to get there. And so we sat down and taken our place and then the, the mask because it's a ritual, the pieces just go from every time they go through them. But then to get our minds and hearts really centered on what's, you know, what's happening. And I think uh, it provides, you know, I think that, you know, make holy the the Sabbath day is not just a command to tick off, but it's so important that we provide that space to be reflective about who we are in our lives and where we're going. And I think Eucharist celebrated well, especially regularly, allows us to do that because whether it's the people that we meet, the the seasons of the year which we we celebrate. And, you know, sometimes I I know I've heard words, uh, you know, proclaimed where I feel like, you know, that really helps to confirm in me things that have been happening or I've heard words that said uh, I better be a little bit more attentive to that because right. <laughs> I I'm not so uh, I'm not so really great at that or I struggle with that or this has been a particularly difficult week with that particular uh, passage that I've been talking about or or a challenge where I haven't even thought of and then understanding that any response that we make 
is not just through our own willpower. You know, the Holy Spirit that we call upon the gifts at the altar is not just upon, yes, it makes the gifts of bread and wine offer the real presence of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, but it's also the, the Spirit is also uh, acting within us as we offer, you know, ourselves. It, it takes a little bit of a skill or a desire, really, to put ourselves in the presence and not just blindly going through all the motions of standing, sitting, kneeling, and maybe being there, but not you know, being there, and then also uh, sometimes with, I think, just plugging in to whatever that particular Eucharistic celebration is about. And I think it gives us a wonderful time to to reset and think, and I'm always trying to say, even even as a priest or bishop presiding, you know, even using my own words, I always tell people when I begin to preach that my homily wasn't just made with you in mind, <laughs> you know, these, these words are living words for me and myself, and sometimes, even as I hear myself out loud, for as much as I have the text or a thought in my head. And then sometimes even when I hear myself and then I back away from that, uh, sometimes I even take more than what what I was thinking I, you know, was giving. And I think that's the how the power of the Spirit moves in it. We're human beings. We have our ups and downs, our joys and sorrows and those things. And when we put them all, this next hour is yours, Lord. And uh, I'm here to be in communion with you and with my sisters and brothers that have joined in this celebration. It makes a huge difference. And then what we're you know what we're what we're drawing from that absolutely i think that's really important too that stillness of finding is so difficult i mean i'm sure there's saints throughout history that said oh in these struggling times or these tough times and now we think like how could it have been that busy in the middle evil times but they had woes and they had sorrows i love that story about uh john vianney when he sees the farmer who keeps coming back to see the Christ in the in the Eucharist and in adoration every day and he says, Well what do you do every day? And he says, Well I look at him and he looks at me, right? And it's just <laughs> finding that stillness and remembering that beauty, that God's beauty is is so true and it always challenges us to accept the fullness of truth and the fullness of goodness in that beauty. And when we we allow ourselves to be drawn into that kind of beauty and that kind of relationship, we get out of ourselves. We're not looking in the mirror anymore and looking at a vanity, right? Mm -hmm. We're going out and looking at the beauty of the rest of the world, the beauty of God in the people we see and Christ in, in each of us individually or as a community, certainly. Yeah. And I think you mentioned Eucharistic adoration, and I, I think I look at Eucharistic adoration for myself as an extension of our Eucharistic celebration. What happens at the table of the Lord is very, like I said, it's because it has a flow to it and a timing to it. When I go to adoration, that becomes the time, too, where I'm in the, the presence of Christ. Sometimes it's by myself. I'm blessed. I'm spoiled. I have a chapel in my own residence, so I that's how I start every day, but, but when I'm gathered with other people to worship and adore the Eucharist, we have times of silence and song and the, the opportunity where I come away touched by that, the piercing look of Christ within me. I'm looking at myself and saying, you know, Lord, I so much want to be like you, and I'm so not. You know? <laughs> and and I'm looking for that grace, and I want to bring the message of the good news out to people, but sometimes I don't even know how. Right. And it's 
bringing people to look at you and draw inspiration from you you know that gives me hope and sometimes that just energizes my whole my whole spirit and and I think uh, people who gather together for that particular devotion gain that as well and and it, it even in silent contemplation because there's many ways that you can do the Eucharistic adoration sometimes just the peacefulness and the and without any other interferences, it's just you and the Lord that encounter helps to give a focal point, an attentiveness to sit at his feet and discipline yourself, too, and not just to come with all of our prayer requests, which is so easy to do. And we never run out of those. No. Right? We're, never, we're, never, we're never done with those. But to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to be quiet now and because I need to listen. You know, I need to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and that's uh, powerful. I- Absolutely. I get so much strength in hearing that you go to the Eucharist and say, I don't know how to do this. God, give me more strength. I mean, because I that is my constant state of being like I just give me your words. Your words are eternal life. Nothing I can say, you know, and is ever going to bring. That's why I come from the music ministry background. I always fall back on texts that are scripture <laughs> and texts that are taken from the doctors of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas, or some someone who is much more astute at speaking because I know that of myself. And I share that with you, Jennifer. You know, sometimes people look at, uh, you know, priests or bishops or people who are around this stuff as being so different from that. And to tell you the truth, for myself, I, I'm not, you know. So I love using the scriptures. I like to be inspired because because I'm preaching them for sure. But it helps me to pray through all those different emotions. But one of the things, too, that, that you mentioned is, and this might seem silly to some people, but I, I have my calendar because it sits on our mobile devices, so it's right there and I just starting out my day is look at what what am I going to be doing today and even if it's just briefly to pray about you know I'm going to be meeting with these people today or this priest today or or this situation today Lord and some of this is going to be difficult and some of this might be hard and I'm just going to rely on you to be with me to do that or I'm going to be speaking today and <laughs> I, you know I want to do a good job too uh, and I don't think that you ever get used to standing up and at least I don't know a group of people and you're hoping to inspire them and Lord you know these are the words that I've prepared but you know, when things go I'm really in your hands and I try to remember that and it's very very helpful to me. So the USCCB has made a the Eucharistic revival a reality for the whole United States. So some of those ideas of what they're they're looking for is to renew the church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Huge. I know. <laughs> so, so you, huge undertaking, right? I, I think one of the things that maybe we don't say often enough about the Eucharist, but the Eucharist is assuming in some sense that the believing community is gathering around Christ, right. you know? And, you know, I guess through some you know, uh, surveys or what people think, or now that we've lived through a pandemic where gathering wasn't possible, and we're trying to, I guess, revive the sense that coming together as a community of faith is important. Yeah. Is it easier to stay home and have everything happen at home uh, and all kinds of things in life? It could be, but it's not the same experience. Right. These are nowhere comparing the same things, but I, I love going to theater or I love going to sporting events. Uh, I could watch all of those things from 
my box at home. You could call them up on any of the pay services and get all of that stuff right into your home, sitting in your cap. But it's not the same as being there. I think, and I know that having had no people in front of me for a time, you know, in those early days of the pandemic, the strangest experience, you know, to be there, that I so looked forward when I finally greeted people and said, the Lord be with you. And they said, and with your spirit, I was like, that's the sweetest sound to my my ears that I've heard in a long time. And the, the fact that we were in there sharing together and there's really nothing that replaces it. There's just something about being there. And sometimes even when it's messy, you know, (laughs) you know, the the sounds, you know, the things that happen, children crying, people, it's just part of what it means to gather together as a community and and to hear people's voices singing. Or one of the things now that's come back to our churches because we can is to have choirs back. You know, you mentioned music before. Choirs back. And I I said recently at a, a mass that I was at, it's so good to hear, you know, God bless all the musicians and the single singers and our cantors who were singing that sustained us during this time. But it's so great to hear the voices back again yes. and to 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 be part of that experience again. Just lifting our hearts, lifting the places that we are, and orienting them, you know, towards Christ. Reminding ourselves of what He offers to us, but also placing ourselves in that presence and giving ourselves to Him in that exchange. And, and it happens to us. And being there with our with our sisters and brothers, there's just nothing. There's nothing that replaces that, that experience of being there. Like you said, the the lockdown and celebrating that first Easter in, I think we were only allowed eight people in the church, right? So well, The very first one, no one, because right. it would happen so close right. to the shutdown. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but even what, the one after that was kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. reduced. Did that make a different sense of celebrating resurrection? Again, the music, the crowd, the excitement, the people getting dressed up, the all of the things that are around all of that. And then saying, and, and then this is our this is our day to celebrate our salvation and and how can you can we celebrate your salvation in emptiness or alone? Yeah. That it, there's just there's just a different sense of that. I'll tell you, years ago, when I, a pastor in a different community, because you mentioned Easter specifically, we had an early morning mass, is typical of the uh, parish. But for the Easter celebration, I wanted people to understand that even though we were we were a small gathering from Sunday to Sunday, but I don't think the people who went to that early mass understood what a larger community they were a part of because they were coming to that. So just for the Easter day, that early time we didn't have. And we said, you know, come a little bit later for Easter. Uh, It was like an hour and a half or something later. Sometimes people would resist those kind of things and say, well, why are you taking, you know, you know, our mass away from it? Because they said, well, this isn't just about your mass. It's about our community. I want you to see what a community we have. And when they showed up, they said, I never knew we had this many people in our community, right. you know, so that was just so telling of the importance of gathering together. Sometimes we don't feel like doing things. I'm sure you've had this experience. We don't feel like doing anything and you force yourself to go. Yep. Right. And then you're saying, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I did this today. It was so good to be with everybody. It was so good to be. There. Well, that also can transpire in a Eucharistic celebration, right, as well. And we say, oh, you know, it's been such a rough week, or it's so easy to say, oh, I'm just going to sleep extra or do other stuff, and I'm not going to bother with God. And then you force yourself, and then some encounter with the people or the Word of God or, or 
or, or something that happens beautifully in, in the Eucharistic celebration touches our hearts and you say, I'm so glad that I came here today. This is exactly, you know, what I needed. Absolutely. There are times as a musician, I always work on Sundays, right? I'm sure you do yeah. too, right? Yes. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but um, especially now that I'm here at the diocesan offices and we have daily mass <laughs> and there are days when like, oh, there's so many things I have to get through on my to-do list. And I, you know what? I should go to Mass. I should go to Mass. I should, it's there. I should be there. And when I do, invariably, and it, it's nothing about against the guys here. It's not always the sermon. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes it right, is, right. but it's not always the sermon. Oh, I think that's true. S- sometimes it is just the Word of God or it is something that I was reading to prepare for my next presentation or my next whatever I'm working on and then it clicks with exactly what the readings are and it's like okay I'm, I'm right here you got me you yeah. got me again God I'm right here thank you yeah yeah like I said, that's that's true of the of the preacher side of it too, and 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 sometimes even what I may say as the homily isn't what maybe was for me was so personal. I'm not going to bring that necessarily to to preaching to everybody, but that word even meant something to me, or something like that happens to you, and then somebody shares it you know, with you as they're leaving and says, you know, when you were talking about today or, you know what, in this reading today, I heard this and they share it with you. And it just gives, you know, myself another perspective of the of the richness of what we have. And just because that's all laid out for us, you know, we're so blessed by the the ritual that we have and the way that the lectionary is is laid out for us. And it's there. Talk about the consistency of Christ always being for like. I'm here for you. I have a message for you here. My, my presence is here for you today. Uh, if you'll come to me, if you'll open your heart to me. And, and the way that the beauty of how the seasons are arranged and the scripture readings flow. And sometimes it's just powerful how that happens and how that it could speak to our, our lives. And in the most personal of ways, but in a way that also calls us sometimes respond. Yeah, I'm sure we've all had difficult people in our life and difficult situations or difficult sufferings, some piece of encouragement, hope, or uh, something that calls us out of ourselves to do something that you, we just know we're not doing this on our own, but because Christ is sitting beside me that allows me to do it. I just marvel at those moments. Yeah. Uh, and, and they happen. So you mentioned it twice, that there's different seasons of the year. We're coming up to one of my very favorite seasons of the year. I love Advent. I mean, I love Christmas. I love Easter. I'm especially in love with the once-a-year days of the Triduum. Those are so life-giving. But, like, something about Advent is just, for me, a holy time. As you said, the lectionary is there for us every day. We're blessed in the Northern Hemisphere that... The world gets darker, it gets more still, and light becomes a commodity. Mm -hmm. And so that hoping for the light and and waiting in anticipation of that light to come back into the world is just such a powerful expression of, of my spirituality that I just look forward to it every year. So... Bishop, what's your favorite season of the year? I do love the Paschal Triduum, of course. Um, but I would say that I also am a lover of Advent time. And I think one of the reasons why, because we're blessed with so many different entry points to fa- or places where we can pick up new beginnings and start again. And I think 
We certainly recognize that always at Lent because we have a big start with an Ash Wednesday and we're saying, you know, we want to make this Lent something different. We have our secular celebrations where we come returning the end of Christmas season. We just have secular, you know, New Year, January 1st, when summer vacations end and you have that September and we're, you know, the, the church seems to work on that, like that school year schedule. You know, we got a new, quote, you know, pastoral activity year that we that we kind of put it as. Advent is one of those really restart. We start to tell the story of our salvation all over again from the darkness uh, coming in the light and telling the birth you know of Jesus Christ and the and the hope and the expectation that that has and sometimes it gets lost in all the other things that you were, were talking about in our preparations for Christmas but if you really pay attention to those things and the themes that are in that seasons those are the hopeful expectancies you know could this year be different could this point in my life be different could this time in our in, in, in our parish in our community in our own family lives could this moment be different because I'm going to uh, try to engage with Christ the Savior who going to maybe open my heart in a different way or I'm going to gain some new insight or I'm going to decide to follow more closely or or pay attention to this more and it's just another one of those entry points for a new beginning and yes. starting we go through the liturgical year and here we can start again and let's engage with the whole story now as we tell it again and of course we have the different perspective of our focus through whatever gospel that, you know, as we'll be going into our focus on Matthew's gospel as we head into the year A of the lectionary readings on Sundays. And so, and it just gives us that chance to renew ourselves, you know, all over again. It starts with the right things, you know, any new season of anything that opens, you know, the new school year, the new job, the new opportunity we have, the new relationship, anything that we're starting new always starts out with, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking hopeful for this. I'm looking for what this new beginning might be you know, bring. And uh, we have that yeah. in, in our church season, yes, too. Yeah. Here, here's how it all began. <laughs> exactly. Here's the hope and expectation that we're preparing for ourselves. And this is the season that vaults us into that that new uh, year of encounter with Christ again. I love Isaiah. I uh, And we always get more Isaiah in Advent. And it's just like, oh, the, the Jewish tradition calls them the consolations of Isaiah, right? The different letters. I just, those are... They touch my heart in a way that it's just like he was so full of hope and he was just so aware of that messianic prophecy that it was coming. And I just like I pray to God every year, like, let me be a little bit more like Isaiah, just so I can have a little bit more um, effect on the on the rest of the world to believe in hope again. Sure. And I think, you know, and he's a realist because, you know, that comes in the latter part yeah. of his pro- <laughs> prophecy. The, the first parts of it are the challenge yeah. to to turn to the Lord and repent. And when you're before somebody that you deeply love, don't we want to be as honest with people in a friendship and a marriage and in any kind of thing? We want to be authentic and real. And we come with who we are, but people that we love call us to be uh, the best of who we are. Right. And in that sense, when we have relationship with Christ, that's what he uh, calls us to, and the repentance is to recognize the places in ourselves where we're not being authentic towards him, when we're not giving him that surrender, the places that we stumble. And then he gives us that hope and expectation again, come, you know, come to me, focus your eyes on me, and this is where you will be led to that new beginning of hope.
Amen. That brings us back to the where we started, right? Bringing that stillness and bringing that repentant heart and that humility before God when we go when we go right to the Eucharist. We have to bring all that and we have to be reconciled. You know, yeah. we, we yeah. do the sign of peace before yeah. the communion. Um, I know the Eastern churches do it before they even bring up the gifts mm-hmm. because they have they want to be reconciled with each other before they can present at the altar. But I'm a liturgy wonk. When we can talk about the liturgy in terms of how how it all works together and the, and the symbolism and and why it feeds us, it breaks that repetitive or routineness down into a way that becomes so much more meaningful. And that's why all of us that are involved in liturgy really have to have special care for the liturgy, right? Because to allow those moments to happen for ourselves and for the people who are attending as the assembly, it's providing the space so when we call people to reflect upon their sinfulness, we might give a little space for people to actually pause and think about that and, and how the lector proclaims or, or the music that's chosen that that is a connecting with the scripture passages. So there's every piece of what we do ritualistically fits into that, making that encounter more real. It's not just theoretical or a heady thing that we're studying how how Jesus is present in this Eucharist, but you know that when you take part in a liturgy that is done well, uh, you don't have to tell people about it. It's evident where the life is coming from, how the priest presides and, and preaches, and how, like I said, the singing is done and the proclamation of the readings, how even as ministers of the Eucharist are, are extraordinary ministers and and priests and deacon ministers look at people or or smile with hope and small things that can make huge differences in bringing out the very things that we're talking about here yeah in particular when when you talk about that i i know that um i had the experience of becoming a daily communicant when i was carrying my most recent baby Mm -hmm. and it was an unsaid thing that happened with a couple of different presiders where they would make sure that like I got a double <laughs> a double portion of uh-huh. the Eucharist and it was just so life affirming for me and my child that like that was going to be a little bit extra because Jen needs a little bit extra because she's carrying, <laughs> you know, the baby. And it was those moments of like, yeah, God is right here. And it's not that they're they're just being nice to me because they know me because I'm the mm-hmm. one with this pretty voice. It was the pastoral care for me and for my child at that moment in that, that instance. It yeah. was just, it showed me God. There's, there's always more of God. And he's always calling me to the more of him. And, you know, you, you point out something that's really important, the interconnectedness of us, you know, w- w- with each other, ordained and lay, you know, together here. We, we, we gather around the table of the Lord. We might have our roles and our functions and our different things. We're all very much in this together. And so the stories that we share and the things that bond us together that made known your, your story and allows something like that to happen is something that only happens in a gathered community. I don't, right. I, I don't know that about you if you're sitting at home and watching it, right? No, no. I, I'm only going to know that as we gather together with each other. And that's the irreplaceable uh, part of it. And that is something that is the beauty of gathering, know, knowing those things. And like I said, the joys and the sorrows, the heartaches and the pains, uh, because that's where Christ wants to meet us through through all of those things. And as we share them together in community, we really bond through doing that. And I think that whole daily communication, uh, again, 
you know, as a kid, I would say to myself, why, why would you do this, you know, any more than you have to, right. but, uh, you know, but, um, it's not but right, right, exactly. <laughs> but seeing that and appreciating for what it is and, and having, uh, you know, people say that too. I, I love coming on Sunday, but this, this daily mass also connects me to, to the Lord and to other people in, in, in very, very, you know, powerful ways. Uh, that's always uh, the privilege that we have, really, to be able to share in this in this presence that the Lord has given to us to share all the time when you when you go to put your mind about it or or every time that I say you know the, this is my body you know given for you this is my blood given for you and uh, it's impossible not to be amazed you know yeah <laughs> yeah I um I don't know what to say to follow that up but <laughs> something that you said prior Christ being right there in the messiness of it mm -hmm. um, and, and a liturgy done well, even a, a messy liturgy, even when the choir sings a wrong note, my favorite part of a big messy liturgy is the Our Father, when the second graders who just learned the Our Father are there and they're trying to run the bus, right? They're, they're shouting to the heavens with their Our Father, and the whole rest of the community has to slow down and help the rest of the like keep up with the kids. It's just, it's like my heart bursts with joy when I hear like all everyone slow down to teach the next generation how to yeah, to hear voices of the young and to um, community sharing together in its communal prayer uh, yes. is uplifting to us all. And, and, you know, all kinds of things, you know, happen at masses, you know, all the time. And I don't necessarily see all of those things as distractions. That's just part of what it is to gather in community. Sometimes it's funny. I had a beautiful young girl once. I was, uh, as a bishop, this happened to me and she was offering the gifts. She had Down syndrome. She was bringing up her gift, the gift, and she had the hosts in her hand, and she was bringing them to me, and she just, in her loudest voice, and it was the most beautiful thing, she goes, and the, the pastor of the parish was standing next to me, we were receiving the gift, she goes, I'm not giving these to you, I don't know you, I'm giving them to him, and we just made a moment <laughs> out of that beautiful thing, like, and everybody laughed, and it was so, it was so endearing. And I was like, you're right. He's the one that you know. He's the part of this community. And reminding us that that this is the value of gathering together, that we're one body yeah. in Christ. It was just a beautiful thing. And it was a totally unscripted moment. And, right. and and some people would have, would have said it was a distraction and the whole, you know, happy because it's not in this, the script of how things are going to go. But that's what human interaction does. Yes. And, and the liturgy is a living thing. It's yes. not just a robotic thing. I don't know how much more time you have. You've given me quite a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. But I just wondered if before we go, do you have any closing thoughts or we should pray together? We'd certainly want to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. That's how we started, right? And, uh, and it's important to give thanks because when we give thanks, we recognize that A, we're not in the world all by ourselves. It's not us all against the world. We can't live without being in communion with others. And of course, we've been talking about our most special way to be in uh, communion around the Eucharistic table as we gather to worship. So happy Thanksgiving to you, Jennifer. Thank you. You too, Bishop Michael. <laughs> and then we'll offer a prayer, right? Yes. We're, we're going to offer this uh, prayer that was uh, written uh, for the Eucharistic revival for our country. So I'll just pray it. It just seemed like a, a good way to end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. 
I beg pardon for those who do not believe, nor adore, nor hope, nor love you. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference by which he is offended. And through the infinite merits of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg of you the conversion of sinners. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at heartofthearc.fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.